Welcome to Code Reg, a podcast dedicated to regulatory remediation programs. This season is all about SHREMS 2, and today we're going to give a brief overview of SHREMS 2 and discuss where you should start when tackling your SHREMS 2 remediation project. I'm Koki Dion with Factor. I'm responsible for our global delivery to our life sciences clients. Today I have with me Carl Dorwart and David Shaw. Carl? Yeah, thanks, Koki. Carl Dorwart. So I lead Factor's life sciences, healthcare, and consumer staples practice, and I'm a former practicing lawyer. David? Thank you, Carl. I'm David Shaw, practicing lawyer for 25 years and subject matter expert at Factor for data privacy. So David, as we uh, dive in today, I think let's start at the beginning. What is SHREMS 2 and why are we talking about it? I think before we get to SHREMS 2, it's worthwhile spending a few minutes at least discussing some of the notable recent historical developments. SHREMS 2, the court decision, the European Court of Justice's opinion is is one of them, but uh, it, it all starts with the General Data Protection Regulation, um, which became effective in May of 2018, which repealed longstanding data protection law in the European Union, the 1995 EU Directive, and it has imposed significant additional regulatory responsibilities on companies operating in the EU, in the EEA, the European Economic Area, as well as companies that have, I'll say, touch points with European personal data. And the other notable point is that the, is the fact that there's additional penalties that were not in existence under the EU directive that are pretty significant. The SHREMS 2 decision uh, was a July 20th, 2002 Court of Justice of the European Union case that uh, effectively invalidated one of the legal mechanisms to transfer data out of the European Union. So you can transfer data using standard contractual clauses through other mechanisms that are provided for under the General Data Protection Regulation. But EU-US Privacy Shield was a specific mechanism to transfer data to the United States in particular. So that court's opinion in SHREMS 2 invalidated that as a mechanism. And as a result, after July of 2020, firms that were relying upon it had to put in place new standard contractual clauses. The other development and kind of wrinkle here is that as a result of the General Data Protection Regulation coming into force in May of 2018, the European Commission had to essentially draft new standard contractual clauses. So they drafted the clauses, released those clauses in, in June of 2021, but also in doing so took account of some of the developments um, and essentially the requirements that were set forth in the opinion by the European Court of Justice relative to the reliance upon standard contractual clauses. David, that background is is really helpful. What is different about you know this recent decision that is, in my view, confusing clients who've already gone through GDPR? Uh, because we see a lot of our current clients kind of struggling with what should be, in my view, is a similar regulatory response to GDPR. Yes, yeah, so the the European Court of Justice's opinion is uh, notable for the fact that the court essentially validated the reliance upon standard contractual clauses as a mechanism to transfer personal data from the EEA to third countries. What are third countries? Third countries are any country that's outside of the European economic area that are not you know, under, under the general data protection regulation. There are certain other countries that are considered adequacy jurisdictions, which means that those countries are deemed by the European Commission to provide an adequate level of data protection at law for personal data. So those countries, uh, if data is being transferred to those countries, standard contractual clauses are not required. 
But what's notable under Schrems too, and what I think confuses a lot of companies today with respect to GDPR compliance, is this concept of a um, transfer impact assessment. So the court said basically, standard contractual clauses are good, you can rely upon them. However, controllers, persons, companies that effectively make decisions with respect to how data should be processed, need to assess the implications legally of the importing country where that data is being transferred to. So they need to undertake a legal assessment with respect to the type of data, the risks to that data, and the risks that in the jurisdiction in which that data is being imported to, that the government effectively of those jurisdictions could access the data without certain rights being provided to the data subjects, the, the individuals in Europe whose data is being protected under the GDPR. Carl, I've got a similar question back to you. I mean, you were involved with GDPR remediation for several clients, and that was a large, splashy regulation. Are you seeing anything different in terms of uh, client awareness around TREMS2 or their approach uh, or uh, any other sort of key differences with, with yeah. how your clients are responding? Yeah, that's actually uh, it's pretty pretty interesting in that. You know, you mentioned splashy and, and GDPR did feel more, you know, quote unquote, in your face than Schrems. I recall even other law firms or, you know, entities, advisory firms, consulting firms were all over GDPR. But I feel like we've seen very little in the market about Schrems. And yet it's putting an identical, if not even more confusing burden on the same entities that had to respond, you know, the first go around. So you know, and I don't have I don't have an opinion on why that is the case. It may be that they're better prepared, you know, uh, to tackle this. Uh, David, I'd I'd love your view coming from large financial services institutions, as I know you have. Clearly, they're used to a regulation every one to two years that requires them to do something with their contracts. But you know, as I sit in, on the life sciences healthcare side, you know, companies are not necessarily as prepared for big contract diligence remediation. I don't know what your thoughts are. Yeah, no, I'm, my, my view of it is that, you know, GDPR, as you said, presented such a huge challenge and it was in your face, um, quite literally. And it was also anticipated for many years, right? So the, the European Commission was working on the General Data Protection Regulation publicly for probably six or seven years, maybe even longer than that. But there was a lot of information in the press and the news, so companies were following it. Also, it was during a time when many companies, uh, global financial institutions in particular, from my experience, didn't have privacy offices. They don't have a compliance focus on privacy. So, you know, the European Data Protection Directive certainly imposed tremendous burdens on firms in terms of protecting personal data, but the GDPR just ramped that up exponentially to a, a, an entirely different standard. So, you know, I think many firms, they invested in the necessary compliance to, to come into compliance with the general data protection regulation. And many firms may have just were hopeful that, you know, it's kind of like once and done and you don't have to think about it again. But it was the Schrems decision that really imposed this additional burden and the EU Commission's release of the new standard contractual clauses. So if you had your SCCs in place, your standard contractual clauses in place, pre-GDPR, you thought, wow, we're great. We're in a great position. But unfortunately, the Schrems decision highlighted the need for a closer look at the law of the jurisdiction in which the data under those standard contractual clauses was being transferred. And, and it's the U.S., right? It's it, the Schrems decision and the courts, the, the European Court of Justice's decision in Schrems 2 was really focused upon U.S. law. 
um, laws that were created after uh, September 11th that you know essentially allowed the U.S. government to pretty freely access data about individuals in an effort to try and identify terrorists, really bad actors. Um, so you know the, the the focus was very much on data protection in the United States. However, it has implications that go to every country outside of the European Union and outside of any jurisdiction that's considered adequate, according to the EU Commission. Yeah, you you, you raise actually a great point. Uh, you know, it's it's sort of what I think we see around in-house roles for legal operations, right? Those didn't exist, you know, let's call it five or 10 years ago, or didn't exist to the extent that they do now, where they're almost mandatory as part of a, an in-house team, you know, managing both the, you know, the day-to-day sort of spend and matter management, as well as thinking more operationally around technology implementation and team sizing and structure and how work's getting done, et cetera. That really did come to the forefront with GDPR in terms of data privacy. Uh, it was a buzzword, but there, were, there weren't a lot of teeth or infrastructure around it prior, right? And now it's, it is mandatory. It is everywhere. And I think that they are, you know, a lot of organizations are, have more readily available headcount or internal staffing to be able to respond or think through a response strategy. That being said, I think what we are seeing, especially given the fact that we are, you know, six months out from the regulatory deadline, we are now seeing those individuals prepare for what do they need to do to be able to make remediation. And that's sort of what we wanted to talk about today, right? You know, with six months left, if you're just starting to think about this or you're halfway through it, you know, I think that, you know, that turns us to sort of the, the topic that we wanted to address, which is around, you know, how to assess their, their capability to be able to respond, right? right? And that is, you know, looking at their their own internal resources, it's understanding what their business organizational structure even is, where are they located, what are they doing, what are they doing as a company, and how does that affect personal data? And... You know, do they have the internal expertise to handle a large-scale remediation, or is that person just going to inform the strategy, and then they're going to turn to outside resources to help them deploy that strategy, which is what we're seeing at Factor, right? We're seeing folks that understand how they want to respond, but don't have the arms and legs to be able to do it. So if I have to give advice to somebody who is six months away from the, the regulatory deadline... I would say, what do you have internally that you can leverage and where do you need help? And assessing that pretty quickly is going to help inform your strategy. Because even if you have the best strategy, if you're not able to deploy the resources to actually implement and carry out that strategy, then you're still not going to be able to get the get to the deadline. Right. Well, one threshold question is we talk about strategy. I mean, we're talking about deadlines here and compliance. Uh, what are we looking at in terms of non-compliance? I mean, what's really the... Uh, you know, the risk versus reward uh, as companies are looking to invest in uh, complying here, what potential penalties could they be looking at? Sure. Both great points. So just to talk about deadlines, uh, December 27th, 2022 is the deadline set by the EU Commission for essentially implementing the new standard contractual clauses that were released in June of 2021. That doesn't mean that a firm on December 28th, 2022 is going to be facing penalties. The real risk, as I see it, Uh, is a risk in the event of a data breach, in the event that a supervisory authority comes in and looks at a company's operations as a result of a loss of data, misuse of data, someone stole data, 
that's where the real risk lies is, uh, you know, in a, an audit of some sort, some sort of regulatory supervisory authority interference with a company that is trying to comply. Um, so it's a long way of saying while December 27th is the deadline, firms that have just started to think about remediating or thinking about their compliance obligations under the general data protection regulation, on a risk-based approach, you could extend the remediation effort well beyond December 27th, but you face that risk of being found out essentially by a, by a supervisory authority. You know, we've, we've mentioned the word data quite a bit and understanding your data. I do think, you know, as we think about what, what a company that is six months away from the regulatory deadline needs to grapple with pretty quickly is, is that, you know, what, what is their current data hygiene you know, what's their, what's been their posture to, you know, understanding, collecting, collating their contracts, their contract data, how have they been storing, you know, that data, you know, how, how well do they know their vendors? How well do they know the, which, which I think is a, a topic that will also instruct how they can start to think about remediation to get to some form of compliance. I think that also is, is key to, you know, where do I start if I'm just starting? It's really looking at your your infrastructure to understand how complicated is it going to be to assess the impact of of the remediation, and that's going to start with understanding the the data within your contracts and you know the hygiene that's been built up leading to this regulatory requirement to suddenly dig into those contracts. So, so Carl, if I've you know, I'm a company, I've got twenty thousand contracts with vendors in particular. Like, where do I start? What do I look to first? Yeah, great question. You know, I would look first to your your database and how quickly can you assess the data that's in that in that database to understand where are these counterparties even situated, right? What kind of services do they provide? You know, especially in the life sciences space, you know, there's some pretty quick wins if you know you have you, you know sites getting set up in jurisdictions that are going to fall within the requirements, you can turn to them pretty quickly. So it's starting to think about how to prioritize, you know, the the vendors for both the based on the ease of access to data to understand those vendors, but also by looking at what's going to be critical to your business, right? You know, what types of relationships, if you have to prioritize, if you have to think about prioritization, what types of relationships should you start with? And that could be looking at you know, the 10 most obvious ones for in terms of the services they provide your company to thinking about, you know, what relationships, if you're going and, start, and you're going to have to engage with your vendors, what relationships are, are most critical or could also be the most complicated in terms of where they are from a, from a criticality to the business and your, and your current relationship. So essentially, it's a, you're, you're suggesting you take a risk-based approach based upon your exposure, based upon the size of the relationship. Um, type of personal data that's involved in scope, where that data is being transferred to. And really it all goes back to, you know, how good is your data and how good is your, your maintenance of that data, which is just another point to note under the general data protection regulation, there's a requirement as there was under the EU directive, but again, enforced and uh, carries with it many more penalties to go back to a question that Koki had asked earlier uh, in terms of consequences of non-compliance. Uh, you know, there's a requirement to have a record of your processing activities. So that means 
you should know where your data is going at all times. You should know where it is. It doesn't mean you need to know the file cabinet that the personal data is stored in, but you need to know that if you're giving that data to a third party, you need to understand who that third party is, where they're located, and the risks associated with that third party's processing of the of the data. In terms of the penalties, it's it's pretty substantial. Uh, so kind of sliding scale of penalties, it depends upon the section, the article of the General Data Protection Regulation uh, that you are found, your company is found to be in violation of. But um, it could be anywhere from $20 million to a percentage up to 4% of a global worldwide turnover, to use the terminology, which means basically if you're a group of companies, a large organization that has operations in several jurisdictions, essentially taking your your gross uh, revenue from all of those companies and, and taking 4% of that revenue as a penalty, which is um, an astronomical number potentially for some firms that uh, the money is an issue, but the reputational risk and the, the, the bad press that is associated with that, the potential impacts to client relationships, relationships with regulators, if it's a company that's in a regulated industry like health sciences, financial services, it's enormous. Thanks for quantifying that, David. That is uh, intimidating at the least. So, you know, talking about how to best tackle this, uh, you know, Carl, I'll start with you. Um, you know, what's one of the first areas that you would start to think about in terms of exactly how do you get started? Are you focused on on people? Uh, you know, you mentioned the data piece, but, you know, tactically on the ground, how do you go about this? Yeah, it's, you know, you're going to need people to do the work, but you first have to understand what the work is. So, you know, I touched on that a little bit, if you can get your head around the scope of the remediation effort, and you can think about one looking at, to David's point, you know, say you have 20,000 contracts, uh, you know, can you quickly distill those contracts down to those that potentially have transfers that require you to have some type of remediation activity? You know, that's, that's a good starting point, but then it's looking internally and understanding that if you don't have the people, you're going to have to get the budget. And we have seen companies that struggle with you know what what is this going to cost them and have they planned for it and if they haven't planned for it who's who's going to own the budget so those conversations should start right away is this is this a legal issue is this a compliance issue is this a you know company issue someone has to pay for it internally and that can hold up the remediation effort just in in getting the the budget allocated and properly accounted for as part of your your planning process, especially when you're halfway through the year. And as you can imagine, budget planning is probably starting for next year already. Uh, it's already finished for this year. I think it's also, again, we keep talking about uh, understanding your data, where it is, and how accessible is your data is another big issue. If you're going to have to cull through thousands or tens of thousands of contracts, you're probably going to need help to do that. And if you need help, you're going to need, or you're going to want to rely on some other technologies that can call that data, that can analyze at the clause level, that can start to pull information, get it into a digestible format. And in order to do that, you have to get that data in and out of a system. And I've seen this with M&A. I've seen this with other regulatory responses. Uh, sometimes the systems that are storing that data are very complicated to pull that data out in a bulk manner. Uh, there's also, as you can imagine, infosec related issues with with just that activity whoever you're using to help where are they going to store that data how are they going to access that data who's going to be accessing it you know starting to have those conversations internally with internal IT and 
you know, whoever's helping you do the work, that's also, those conversations have to start now. And I'm sure there's more that we were probably missing. One approach that I know I've seen clients take is really tackling the biggest fish first. Uh, imagine, you know, for any organization, you have 10, maybe 20 vendors or service providers where you you know they fall into this category and you may not have access to all of the personal data that they may have access to, but you know that you will need to remediate these contracts. And so starting with a, you know, 10, 15, 20 counterparty sort of hit list to start on first, uh, at least to get sort of the, the best return on investment for these initial efforts to at least ensure there's compliance w- with those sort of key vendors. Yeah. And one, one of the issues that I've confronted in my, in my past, um, this is true very much in the financial services industry is, you know, you look at a, you look at a firm or company that's a vendor to your organization, but in many cases, that vendor is also a customer of your organization. So you have to you have to take account of the fact that if you're going to be reaching out to a vendor to ask some pretty basic questions about like what data do you have that is mine, uh, which is kind of one of the first questions you might ask if you don't have <clears throat> good data quality in terms of you know where your personal data is located, that could have a kind of a boomerang effect. In other words, um, on the other side of the house where that vendor is now a customer. You, they may get concerned at the fact that you're an, you're a, a service provider, but also you know we're providing services to you, and you don't know where our data is. So there are some implications of reaching out to uh, third parties to start a remediation effort um, because of the potential client implications that that. Yeah, David, you're raising a great point. We we have seen that with a with a number of of clients already where. You know, we, we work with clients of, of all different sizes from a revenue perspective as well as from a geographic perspective. And you have companies that are uh, that that need to reach out and as as part of the remediation effort uh, are concerned with how those interactions will, even though they're you know mandated from a regulatory perspective, they're still concerned with how those relationships will be affected by the requirement to put SECs in place or you know, will that be an opportunity to open up other negotiations from a, at a vendor level? So I, I do think, you know, again, as we're talking about where else can we start at this point, it's it's also making sure you're getting the business involved, right? Getting the business involved because they're the ones that are going to be closest to the relationships. I think where where we see this try to be driven by just, you know, one of the verticals internally, whether it's legal or whether it's work privacy, at the expense or exclusion of other stakeholders internally, there's it's going to slow down the process because inevitably you're going to need to engage with the business. And if they're not included early on in the process, they're not going to understand why why this is being done. They're not going to understand the level of effort, and they're not going to you know they might push back and cause delay. And you're already behind in your effort to get to compliance. So speed is speed and efficiency are are paramount at this point in the in the game. Right. Another question. I'll throw this out to to both Koki and to Carl. So let's assume you've got some budget, you've got some internal um, the necessary internal buy in from responsible groups. What are some of the approaches firms could take? They identified a potential uh, need, remediation need. Where do you begin? What, what's the approach in reaching out to vendors? Is it big bang? You hit everybody at once, or do you take a more selective approach? What's your kind of thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I think it certainly depends on uh, the amount of budget that you have, as well as how good your data is. If you're not confident about the data that you have or the engagement that you can receive from your business to to help shore up or, or, or clean up that data, you may have to do more of a, a big bang or shotgun type approach where uh, you're sending something uh, a bit more generic to all of the counterparties uh, who could be relevant. You do risk some embarrassment or the point that you touched on, David, around you know raising concern with clients and service providers that you don't know uh, you know exactly what data they have or are handling. At the same time, it is important for uh, folks to remember that that this is affecting all businesses, large and small, right? We've had the same situation where clients have been uncomfortable making that sort of an ask to a a client slash service provider, and the client slash service provider was having the exact same concerns. Uh, and, and there's a bit of a you know just just come to a reality moment where everybody recognizes that neither party has the necessary data, uh, and and that's okay. Uh, you know, let's start to 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 work towards this. Um, a, a more targeted approach. You know, if you have the project management in place and the data that you need, or at least um, an outline of where the data is and how to get to it. Uh, and you have time and budget, an effective project management individual or a group of individuals can work with the business to you know, understand those relationships, uh, avoid those situations where you're reaching out, uh, you know, saying to a, a client or a counterparty, you know, I'm, I, I don't know what data uh, you have. Uh, so if, if you have the appropriate management in place and, and decent data, a, a more targeted uh, approach could certainly work. Yeah. And, and, and don't forget, Koki, the these things can happen in parallel, right? You're like you can begin if you don't have good data hygiene, you can begin uh, to explore the relationships in parallel to a targeted outreach approach. And in fact, you know that is one that you know we are not a law firm, but I would think that if you were you know if you're starting this late and you're not going to get to full compliance, if you're at least showing a regulator that you've begun the process and that you you have a strategy in place, so mm-hmm. uh, rather than Starting from you know one point and getting through to it with no remediation or outreach occurring, you know starting that in parallel sort of as with with two work streams that are moving simultaneously towards an end date which would be full compliance, I think is also helpful and that that would be a more targeted approach which is happening in parallel with some type of diligence activity kind of working behind the scenes the output of of which is fueling that 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 outreach strategy. Yeah, that's a great point, Carl. As we've seen at Factor with you know with with clients having that kind of well documented, thoughtful approach to a remediation effort, even though you may not be in that full compliance stage by the requisite deadlines, uh, you know, having the ability to explain that you've you've spent the money, you've undertaken great initiative to comply, while it may not completely mitigate the risk or the risk of penalties in particular. It certainly facilitates the discussion and helps, you know, helps companies kind of maintain good relations, if you will, and goodwill with uh, with their supervisory regulators. All right, Carl, David, we've covered a lot today. Uh, we've talked through Shrems Two and some of the penalties associated with it. We've talked through the timeline. We've talked through the challenges that our clients have seen uh, with project management, internal alignment, uh, data sources. And uh, we talked about a, a targeted approach versus a shotgun approach. Uh, th- that's a lot to digest. Uh, I think we'll break there for today. In our next episode, I'd love to take a deeper dive into what that shotgun approach versus the 
targeted approach would look like, uh, as well as a deeper dive into the stakeholder alignment, because I, I know that is absolutely a key issue. Uh, I do also know that there are some UK and state-specific distinctions, uh, and, and I think we can dive into that on our next episode. Sounds good to me, Koki. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Code Reg. You can find this podcast and more at our website at www.factor.law. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate if you take a moment to leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts.